Thank you, worship team. Do you guys like these guys? Um, I think they're awesome. Well, good morning. My name is Steve Hamas. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here and small group leader at Shiloh. And I'm delighted to, to be able to share with you this morning. I think it's an honor to be able to stand up here and just show you what's been on my heart from God. So I have a question. How many of you guys like to receive a gift? Right? Well, not everybody. It's fun to receive a gift, isn't it? But how many of you would prefer to give a gift? So I like to receive more than I like to give, honestly. But it's fun to give a gift too, right? And I have a gift for one of my coworkers this morning. And I'm, they don't know what it is. But I'm going to give you guys a preview to, to what this is. But we'll come back to that in a bit. I'm going to start. And um, Greg spoke, Pastor Greg spoke a couple weeks ago about in a sermon called Seasons and the Seasons of Life. And how times change and our seasons of life change and the time changes. But the purpose of that season doesn't necessarily change. And it spoke to me because I'm entering a new season. And it, and it caught me a little off guard and, you know, I've entered new seasons before, as you have. We start with elementary school, and then you go to middle school, and you go to high school. And when I graduated from high school, I moved to California, and I met my soon-to-be wife. And I grew up Catholic, and my faith had kind of waned a little bit over the, over the time. And her friend, Nora, introduced us to this church that we went to, to a Bible study. And so we are going on a Monday night, and that just doesn't register with me because you don't go to church on Monday night. You go on Sunday. But we went on a Monday night, and there were 1,500 people there. There were little kids there. I've never been in a church with 1,500 people, but it was swamped. There were kids doing their homework on the carpet, laying there. There were old ladies knitting and people yakking and all different types of people. And I didn't know what I was in for. But there was a band on stage. I had never seen a band on stage. And the band came out, and they played. And it's like, I want to do that. That was just awesome. The keyboard, everything was just wonderful. I had never heard contemporary Christian music and then the pastor came out, and he spoke the gospel, and I had just never heard it that way, and it came alive for me. And so we went every Monday after Monday, and I, I got saved there. I committed my life to Jesus Christ, and I got saved. And I was given a gift of salvation. The greatest gift that God could give me was the ability to be saved. And I was so excited. I wanted to share that with everybody that I saw. And um, it was an exciting time, and then seasons changed. We moved here. We got married. We moved here. We had a family. We got kids. We got into our careers and our jobs, and, and the faith just started to wane. I didn't walk away from my faith, but it just lost its luster. It lost its, its shimmer. And the parenting years were exhausting. So, yeah, everybody's nodding their head. Yeah, we know, right? They're exhausting. At the end of the day, you're just dead and there's nothing left but that there's still stuff to do and the kids still need something and they're exhausting. And I think that we've all been there at some point or another, right? We've all been where you've gone through a season. Maybe you started and when you first learned about Jesus, your faith was so exciting. You were filled with awe. You felt his presence. You could, you could feel him and you could see him move. Lots of things might have changed for you when you first became a Christian, first started following God. And then, as you keep going, it just kind of dwindles. And after a while, you're just kind of going through the motions. I mean, maybe you find yourself, you read your devotional in the morning, and then an hour later, you don't remember anything that you read at all. It's like it could ask, and you wouldn't know. 
Maybe you're sitting here at church and you're having communion and you find yourself wondering, I wonder what a full bag of these crackers with a full glass of wine would be like. Or maybe you're sitting there listening to the worship team and you tune in and you go, they have sang Let It Rain 29 times. And it, oh my gosh. Maybe you're sitting there looking at the speaker and you're doing a self-eye exam going, you know, on these screens behind going, you know, I think my left eye's gotten worse. I should probably make the eye doctor appointment. I can't read it. And you're just totally tuned out. Not that I've done any of those four things, but you might have, you know, but it's, it's a season of life. And I was talking to God about this recently and just how I seem to be entering this new season and we're our parenting where our kids are older and they've moved out and I was like, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to sign up for the next big thing. What is it? And I'm praying and I'm waiting on them and it's like, what is that big thing? You know, the big ministry. And during my devotional a couple of weeks ago, something just struck me. You ever read the Bible and, and it just blows by you one year, but then you read it again and something sticks out. Well, this stuck out to me. It's something really simple. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at that today. If you have your Bible and you want to turn to Acts 3, that's where we're going to read. But we're going to start at the very end of Acts 2, just to give you some backdrop. So Acts 2 ends with, after Jesus rose from the dead, all the disciples are in the room together upstairs. And the Holy Spirit descends on them. And they all start speaking in tongues and just they're so excited and they spill out into the street. And all the people in the street thought, they've got to be drinking. You know, who gets that excited? And Peter comes out and he goes, no, 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 no. We're not drinking. I got it. Let me tell you guys what's going on. The prophet Joel years ago said this was going to happen. And he told them the story how the Joel predicted the Messiah to come and he would, he would come and he would die for their sins. And he gave them the whole thing and everybody was tuning in and listening to this. And then he ended his talk to the people and he said this, bless you. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So now we go into Acts 3. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's ankles, feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And the people recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And the chapter goes on to tell about the people were absolutely blown away by this. So Peter comes and he says, let me tell you how this happened. It's not us. It wasn't John and me doing this. This was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and and you guys crucified him and he rose again from the dead. But we've put our faith in him just like the gospel says. And it was by that faith in Jesus that we're able to heal him. But the rulers in town heard about what was going on and all the commotion and everything. 
And they came and they arrested Peter and John and they put him in the jail for the night. It says they seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who, who believed grew to about 5,000. That's 3,000 to 5,000. There's 2,000 people. Off one event, 2,000 people. And a couple of things really struck me about this, this whole thing. Peter and John, they're just ordinary guys. They're just ordinary men. It says the next day when the rulers brought him in in front of them and they questioned him, how are you doing this? And they said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I imagine Peter and John going to the temple that day. It's a normal day and they walk in through the gate and this guy's always there. He's always sitting there. And they go and buy him and he's begging and somewhere along the line, Peter decides... I'm going to heal him. Isn't that amazing? He had to make the decision, do I step up or do I step away? Because what if he stepped up and he said, I'm going to heal him. And he comes and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he takes him and he pulls him up and the guy's ankles snap and he falls down and, and it didn't work. What an embarrassment, right? But Peter went ahead and he stepped up and God showed up. And once healed, that guy could not shut up. <laughs> he went into the courts and he's screaming and yelling, wouldn't you? Can you imagine what that day was like at the temple to see this guy who for years had sat there and, and he's walking and he's jumping and he's praising. It had to have been crazy. And I'm impressed with their faith that they just stepped into this. They didn't allow that fear of failure to influence them at all. And Peter said, what I have, I give to you. Isn't that the essence of our Christian walk? Isn't that what he asks of you and for me? And I'm also impressed that this one act had such a ripple effect. 2,000 people deep. 2,000 people deep. So a little earlier I was telling you that I went to God and I was asking him, what's the next big thing? You know, what do, I'm ready to sign up. What am I going to do? And he, and he said to me, he says, you know, Steve, there's very few times that I'll just show people what the big thing is and give them the specifics how to do it. He says, I might give them a vision for that. But rarely will I tell them how to do it. They have to step into the road and start walking it. And as challenges come, they'll see it, and I'll join them, and I'll walk them through it. And he said, do you think any pastor of a megachurch ever just started out and said, I'm going to have a megachurch and sign up and had it? No, they, they get a vision to start a church, and they have challenges and things that one after another come their way. And they step into it, and God shows up, and he walks them through it. As opportunities come to you and me as we walk down the road, it's we get to make a decision. What do we want to do with that? And in my life, he showed me this. He said, you know, Steve, I've given you the opportunities before. And what you do, you open the door and you walk through it. And you look and you go, nope. And you step back and you close the door. And then you look through the peephole and you go, oh. And I open the door and I walk through again and I assess the situation. He said, what I need you to do, I need you to walk through the door. I need you to lock it and shut it behind you. And I want you to walk into every opportunity, every challenge that I give you, and I'll show up and we'll do it together. And he said, the amazement and the awe of your life is going to come from when you partner with me and when we can walk straight into that challenge. And the more that we do it, the bigger the challenge that God can send your way and the bigger it becomes and all to show his glory and his power. But when we go off track and where I've gone off track is when I try to get myself comfortable in my faith. I try to custom design my faith to where I'm, I'm, I'm just comfortable, right? 
And our lives become about us. And that's when it starts to lose its shimmer. That's when it starts to lose the vibrancy and the excitement of it. And we only think one way. So he reminded me of a time that we were in Paris. We were at the Paris airport. My wife's family had gone, her parents had gone to Paris for a month. They rented an apartment. And they said to us, if you guys can get over here, you got a place to stay. So we bought tickets, went over, we spent a week with them, and it was wonderful. And we were at the airport, ready to go back home. And a personal thing about me, I do not like to go to the bathroom on an airplane. At 30,000 feet, if you flush the toilet and you hear that, it's like it's going to suck your watch off and your wallet out of your pocket and your brain out of your head. And everything's going to go down that little hole. And I don't know, I don't know where it goes, but it's absolutely terrifying to go to the bathroom on an airplane. So I don't like to do it. So what I do, I wait until they call the flight that they're going to board, and then I'll run to the bathroom and I'll come back. So they called our flight, and I told my wife, hey, I'm going to run to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I went down this wing and couldn't find a bathroom, and there was another little hall. So I went that way, and there were two individuals' bathrooms. So I went in one, and I went to the bathroom and get out, get all done, and I go to leave, and I turn the door handle, and nothing happened. And I took the door handle, and it's, it's broken. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm stuck in the bathroom. So... I do it, and then I get my credit cards on. I'm trying to be MacGyver, and I'm trying to just, like, wedge it all and to get, to get the door open, and it's not working. And I'm starting to panic. My wife has no idea where I am. Our flight is boarding, and I don't want to miss the flight. And so I'm thinking, I'll just climb over the ceiling. I'll stand on the toilet, but the ceiling, ceiling is sheetrocked. And I say, oh, my gosh. Start banging on the wall, and I don't know any French. And all I know is, plus rouge vin, s'il vous plaît, which is more red wine, please. And it's not... <laughs> It's not coming handy right now. It's like I don't even know how to say help. So I'm banging and help, help, and I'm, I'm panicking. It's like, oh, my gosh. I'm in here for like six, seven minutes now. Seemed like an eternity. So as a last-ditch effort, I'm just jiggling the handle, and I pulled it up, and the door unlocked. Like, oh, my word. Are you kidding me? Down is lock. Up is unlock. There's probably a little French sign. I just can't read it. Anyway, I feel like an idiot. The whole purpose of me telling you this stupid, pointless story is this. Sometimes in our faith, we do the same thing. We do the over and over and over again. But it's not working. And at some point, we got to pull the handle up. we got to do something different and to get out of our comfort zone. And when we get out of our comfort zone, that's when we start to see God move. That's where we learn to lean on God and to trust him. In order to make it through the challenges, it's where he joins you and he comes alongside you just to show you how magnificent he is. You don't need the big goal. You don't need the big, huge ministry. You just jump in every day and take everything that comes your way and invite the bigger and bigger things. Between services, I was talking to Lindsay. And Lindsay's saying, you know what? That was me when I took this job. I'm like, I'm on the board of directors, I was comfortable. And then they tapped her on the shoulder to step up to the executive director. And said, what? But she stepped through the door and she shut it behind her. And God's using her in mighty ways in the ministry. So thank you, Lindsay, for doing that. And I'm going to step on some toes today, but I want to ask you a question. Have you allowed yourself to be comfortable in your faith, but it's gotten dull? Our pursuit of comfort can get in the way of the greater things of the kingdom of God, can't it? And has COVID lulled you into thinking that you don't need to be around other people? Now, for those of you online, don't, they're like canceling right now. Before you do that, I'm not saying that COVID doesn't have its 
real threats and stuff. But there's a danger in it, thinking that we don't need to be around other people. And I'll tell you, it's, it's not scriptural. In Hebrews 10.24, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I've always teased with my wife that I don't like people. I don't like people because people cause drama, and I don't like drama. But the reality is that we won't grow without other people. We won't grow without that friction of rubbing against other people. We won't grow without the encouragement of other people. We're meant to be together. We're meant to, to rub and be as, beside each other. The University of California, Berkeley, did a study on amoebas. Amoebas are a little single-celled creature, right? And they got a bunch of them together, and they put them in a, in a tank, and they took out everything that could possibly stress the amoeba out. And I have no idea what that is, but they gave them a stress-free life. You know what happened? They all died. They all died. The amoeba needs the challenge in order to thrive. It needs that in their environment. And I love what the author Bob Goff says. He, he has a life motto, and he says, I always want to live my life on the edge of yikes. I think that's awesome. I want to live my life on the edge of yikes. But the truth is, you're writing your story. Every single one of you guys here today, you're writing a story about your life. And one day, don't you want to tell your story and not have any regrets? One day, don't you want to tell your story and be able to tell it and say, you know, I stepped out of the box. I stepped up and God showed up. And together we did the unimaginable. We did the unthinkable. We did things I could have never done on my own. And have your story be filled with that. One day I want to have, talk with God about my story. And I want to see all the ripple effects of my story. Where it went. You know, Moses, he was comfortable. You think of these people in the Bible. He was very comfortable with what he was doing until God came and tapped him on the shoulder. And he goes, I want you to be the guy that leads the Israelites out of the desert into the promised land. And he turned the job down. And then God said, no, 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 no. I want you to be the guy. And Moses stepped up and God showed up. And he became one of the greatest leaders we've ever seen. We have Esther who was perfectly comfortable living with her uncle until God taps her on the shoulder and says, oh, I want you to be the queen. <laughs> And she stepped up and God showed up. And then God put the challenge in her path to save the whole Jewish people from being annihilated by a really evil guy. Then we have David, perfectly fine tending his dumb little sheep until God shows up, taps him on the shoulder and goes, oh, I want you to be the king. (laughs) And he stepped up and God showed up. And he's still chased by crazy Saul, Saul who wants to kill him. But David just kept stepping into it and God kept showing up. And he became one of the greatest kings we've ever seen. All of the disciples were content being a fisherman, a tax collector, a doctor. Until they were tapped by God, they stepped into it, and God showed up, and we read about them today. Each one of them stepped up through the door, and they fully engaged, and they all had a gift to give someone else, and it rippled on. I carry with me ripples from people that are in this congregation. You know, today I, I look and I think of the things in my life where ripples have affected me. My mom's going through a huge health crisis right now, and I'm watching her. Instead of being mad at God, instead of stepping away from it and checking out, she's stepping into it. She's pressing in. She's using her faith. I was talking to Maddie Murphy, who sits here at first service, and today's the anniversary of her husband's death. But Tom was one of the elders here at Shiloh, and Tom got cancer, and he passed away from it. But until his last day, Tom exemplified faith. And he, to his last day, he was pouring himself out, giving it. And I said, if I'm ever going to have cancer, I want to do it that way. 
I think of Sheila Berglund, David and Sheila Berglund go to church here. They had a huge issue in their marriage. And I watched Sheila love unconditionally. And I said, that's how it's done. I watched Ed and Greg deal with people with compassion and grace. I call people eggers, extra grace required. They're the eggers in your life. And they deal with people with grace and compassion and say, that's how it's supposed to be done. Those are the ripple effects of people stepping into their, their walk. So what are you writing in your story? Will you allow yourself to be a little bit uncomfortable in your life in exchange for a life that will be filled with adventure and awe? You know, Scripture's filled with all these action words, like step into it, strain towards, take hold, follow in the steps, do it with all your might. It's filled with all these things like that. But you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say settle in and get comfortable. It doesn't say rest on your laurels. You know, I heard a statement a long time ago, and I just, I just love this picture. When I come across the gates of heaven, I don't want to walk in and go, well, here I am. I made it. Where do I go? I don't want to come into heaven that way. I want to come into heaven screaming in at 100 miles an hour. I want my shoes untied. I want tears in my pants. I want dirt all over. I want scrapes and bruises. I want my hair all messed up. And I want to come and scream and go, wow, what a ride. That was awesome. I want to come into heaven that way. Don't you? So what are you holding on to that's holding you back? I had to look at that and say, what am I holding on to that's holding me from stepping and closing the door behind me? Is it fear? What is it that's holding me back? When you step up, Jesus shows up. So what about you? Do you need to get out of your comfort zone and get that luster back in your faith life? Matthew West wrote this song, if you've never heard it. It's called Going Through the Motions and And I love this. It just speaks to my life. He says, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? It's a great song. It really speaks to me. So my gift to my coworker, right? So we hired a guy named Adam at my work. Adam's 26. He's a grad of UNH with a computer science degree. Adam's bright, man. We hired him in November, and he worked in our installation department for a while, so I really didn't get to to know Adam very well. And in February, we transferred him, gave him a new position, and he was shared between me and another guy as, as far as the job responsibilities. And anything you asked Adam to do, he could do it. He could read a book. Boom, got it. He could look at something and just get it. He was super, super smart. So I got the chance to know Adam some, and everybody that I work around, I try to get a feel for their spiritual walk, where they are. And I'm not very good at it, really. And, and so how I do it, typically I'll, I'll ask them their story. So, so tell me about yourself. And then I get to talking. And then somewhere in there I try to slide it in and say, so tell me about your spiritual walk. You know, do you have a spiritual walk? And I was thinking, when do I do this with Adam? And I had a number of times that we were sitting across the desk and, and I was going to do it. I was going to do it, and I looked at the watch, and, oh, man, I only got 10 minutes. So I stepped back, and it's like, dang it, you know, I had the opportunity, and how am I going to do this with Adam? And I still haven't done it. So spring break week, uh, my wife works for the school system, so we went to Burlington, Vermont for a couple days. And on Monday, Adam texted me, and he said, hey, look, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I'm throwing up, and I got a headache and stuff. I'm going to stay home. I said, sure, I hope you, know, hope you feel better. Um, take care. So Tuesday morning, he texted me and said, look, I'm still not feeling 100%. Is it okay if I stay home? Um, I said, sure, absolutely. 
Wednesday, he didn't text, so I figured that he went to work. And on Thursday, I get a call from the office, and they said, hey, did Adam contact you? I'm like, no, why? And they said, because he didn't show up yesterday, and he didn't show up today. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? So I text him, and I said, hey, Adam, nobody knew you weren't coming in today. What's going on? Where are you? Give me a call. Didn't hear back from him. So then I get a call from the office, and they said that his mom had called in. Adam had passed away. Adam had killed himself. I didn't get to give him the gift. I didn't get to give him the greatest gift that I have. I didn't give, get to give Adam. Some of the guys at work said, go read his Facebook page. So I went on his Facebook page and looked. And in February, he put a really long post that he'd battled with depression. He battled with suicidal thoughts. He'd had a lot of destructive relationships in his life. And he wanted to fix it. He was going to get help. And I missed that opportunity to share the greatest gift that I have with him. And I'm not saying that had I met with Adam, had I done this, that he'd be here today. I'm not saying that I would have fixed all of his problems. What I am saying is I don't want to spend my whole life asking what if I had given everything instead of just going through the motions. You see, the value of your life will truly be measured by how much of it you give away. As Peter said, what I have, I give to you. So would you stand when we'll close? So I didn't mean to bring it from a high to a low. <laughs> that was not my intent. But you know, guys, the reality of, is this. Every day, we are writing that story. Every day when the challenge comes in front of you, do you step away or do you step in? And my encouragement to us as Christians, step in. You step up, God shows up. The more you step up, the more he shows up, the bigger it gets in the ripple effect of your life. One day, we'll sit in heaven and God will read that story And I want us all to have a story of ripples. I don't care where you are right now in your life. You could be going through the biggest challenge of your life. Step up, he shows up. There's a ripple. No matter how you step out in faith, there is a ripple. So I encourage you, step up, he shows up. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you promised us this in your word, that you'll show up, God, you There's so many promises. You love to do life with us. You love to equip us. You love to show your glory and how magnificent you are, God. And it's so awesome to partner with you, Lord. I pray that each one of us, we would step up instead of stepping back, Lord. That if we're sitting here and our faith life is dull and it's lost that luster, it's lost its sheen, it's lost its excitement, it's lost its awe, God. May we start stepping out this week. May we look at everything that comes our way, every opportunity every challenge, every egger in our life, God, we would look at it with a different pair of eyes. That if we step into it, God, you'll show up and you'll partner with us. And we can just watch how magnificent you are. We can watch how awesome you are, Lord. And the bigger the things come, Lord, we step up. That our faith may be so full of you, God, that we may have that all-consuming passion inside of us. And we don't step back And look at it at the end with regret, Lord. We look at it with sliding into home base going, what a ride. 
So, Father, I pray that you would equip each one of us today. You know that we're weak. You know that some of us, we carry around a lot of baggage. And, Lord, I know that doesn't matter to you. You used all these people in the Bible in the weakest sense for the glory of you, Lord. You used them powerfully. A guy who stutters, you made him be one of the greatest leaders, Lord. The little guy who's a shepherd didn't know anything about leading. You made him one of the greatest kings. You can do that with the disciples. You can do it with them. You can do it with us, Lord. So we commit our lives to you, God. We commit it to you. We walk in front of you and with you, Lord. Thank you for your compassion, God. Thank you for not giving up on us. And thank you mostly, God, that you gave us the greatest gift ever, which is the gift of eternal life. For that, we're so grateful, Lord. In your most holy name we pray. Amen. Go out and live and be equipped, saints. Amen. Have a great day.